Ty said spicy. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you guys made it through exams. Yes? Alive? Yeah. Great. That's great. A couple people graduated up in here. That's very exciting. Um, how many of you guys have like young kids in your family? Like nieces, nephews, maybe? All of us, okay? So uh, my, sister, uh, my sister has two kids. Um, one is two and one is three, about to turn four in August, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and I don't know if you guys recognize this about little kids, but for Christmas, oftentimes they don't care what you got them for Christmas. They're, they love the box though. You're like, dope, I just spent 50 bucks on this thing, but you're cool with the box. Anyway, so um, my sister, uh, again, she's got two kids. And when you're a kid, what do you do to have fun? You go into the living room and you like strip the couch cushions and you begin to create this like kingdom, right? This fortress, right? Like cushion here, cushion here, and this triangle, it's beautiful. It's your own little, I don't know, city, whatever. And you're having a ton of fun until your parents want to use the couch cushions again, right? Like, hey, we have guests coming over soon. Like, we need to use those. And so my sister kind of has this dilemma of like, okay, well, I want them to have fun, but what do I do? And so Christmas is coming up, and uh, she's like, well, what should I, like, what should I get them? And she comes across this uh, revolutionary product called a nugget couch. Does anybody know what a nugget couch is? <laughs> Two people. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so anyway, so this nugget couch, let me explain it to you. It's the best thing ever. So um, it's like, it's literally advertised as kid furniture, which is kind of crazy or weird. I don't know. Um, but so I, imagine for a second, it's like these like four cushions that are like in different shapes and stuff. So it's like a triangle and like you can like mold, like I guess mold it into different shapes and basically make the coolest fortress ever, right? And they're pretty expensive. Now, my sister's like, okay, I'll get this for Elliot and Holland. They're going to love it. So Christmas comes around, and you'd think that they would be so excited for this, right? Like, they get to use these cushions, and mom and dad don't, like, ask for them back because it's theirs. And so um, I, I, I'm talking to my sister this past week, and I'm like, hey, did they use that thing? She's like, nope, they don't use it, ever. Literally, all they do, they have this opportunity to have a ton of fun right in front of them. They have this really cool object that like is literally designed for building forts and stuff. And they are cool with like dusty old couch cushions with probably like chips and stuff on it. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, people? They're cool with using that. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just feel like that's a really common thing with kids because the reality is they have an opportunity to have a ton of fun. Like, here is this thing that is designed for them to build a fortress, but they're cool with using something lesser. And so I wonder if that's similar to how we are with the mission of God. And here's, here's what I mean by that. I wonder if we can focus on other things so much, other lesser things, that we begin to lose sight of the greater thing. The greater thing being the opportunity to be used by God, the opportunity for your time in college to count for Christ. We can end up spending so much time on, on things that are actually good, right? Like, man, I wanna get good grades. I wanna get a good job. I wanna build a resume. I wanna, man, maybe I'm looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or man, I wanna get married, and man, I'd like to, in the future, have kids and have a house, and I wanna save up to get this car and all those things. And in 
focusing on those things, I wonder if you've maybe begin to lose focus of why you even exist. I begin to wonder, man, are you looking at your life and thinking, man, I, this time doesn't really count for Christ. So I think that sometimes, especially in college, we can believe this lie that, oh man, like real life happens in the future, but right now the things that I do don't really matter. And what ends up happening, I fear, is that you end up settling for a life that actually doesn't mean anything for the cause of Christ. You've allowed yourself to focus on lesser things that have missed the opportunity to be a part of God's mission to reach the lost world for Christ. So I don't know if you know this or not, but this is true for every single person here. God wants to use you. I don't, I mean, whether you're at DMAT, Go Bears, baby. Maybe you go to Faith. Maybe you go to Simpson. Maybe you're at, you work full time. The same thing is true for all of you, that God wants to use you right here, right now, that you actually don't have to wait for a church plant. You don't have to wait to go overseas for your life to count for Christ, but rather, God wants your life to count right now. So the last two weeks, uh, we've been going over our series, Living on Purpose. And the whole uh, function of this series is to help, like, help you guys consider, man, what does it look like for me to lay down my life for Jesus and to live for him? Maybe it's, man, after you graduate from DMAC, you consider going on a church plant. We've got students going on the Blono plant. We've got people going to Syracuse. There are future church plants. There's a church plant going to, to Oregon. Like so many different places. And we're asking, man, is this, I don't know, whatever, Oregon? Is that how you say it? Oregon, Oregon, Oregon whatever. Oregon, that's in your body. In Oregon, like I said. Oh man, hey, geography, not my strong suit, guys. I know where Iowa and Michigan is. Everywhere else, I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I really went for it. I was like, I'm probably gonna say this wrong, whatever. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh. And so, but anyway, so, but that you would consider saying, hey man, I, I want to, to move with a purpose. And so last week we had John LaRavia come and speak and, and help us to consider, man, what is God doing overseas? Could I go overseas for a season or maybe even for a lifetime and considering that? And so tonight I wanna talk about staying with a purpose. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm not going on a church plant. I'm not going overseas. What about me? So tonight I wanna talk about that. Staying with a purpose, to enjoy the thrill of living life on mission with God right now. Because the fact is God wants to use you, that you wouldn't wait for the future, but that you would see that, man, God wants to use you. And so the question tonight is, do you want your college years to actually mean something for Jesus? Or do you just wanna kind of skate by like the rest of your, maybe your other friends do or like other people do? To let this time pass by and not let this be a time where you're living for Christ. So as we consider what that looks like, um, I wanna look at someone in the Bible who, man, when I think of living for Christ, count, like having their life count for Christ, this is the person I think of. 
I want you guys to open up to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine is where we're gonna be because when we hear God's word, we hear God's voice. Come on. And so just to give you guys a little bit of context here, um, up to this point in the book of Acts, um, God is on the move. Jesus Christ has died, resurrected, and he sent his spirit. There's a point in time, it's called Pentecost, where like 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus at one time. So Christianity is on the rise, but so is the persecution of Christians as well. Like there are uh, these, these uh, Jewish men and women who are really offended by these Christians who would say that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Messiah. And they're like, no, he's not. He's not the son of God. He's not the Messiah. We've read the Old Testament. This cannot be the guy. And so they do everything in their power to begin to really pour water on the flame of Christianity. And they begin to devote their lives by persecuting Christians, putting them in chains. And it's in the midst of all of this that we run into our character here. And the name of this man is Saul of Tarsus. And so our first point tonight is no exceptions. If you're taking notes, first point is no exceptions. So look with me starting in verse one. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, so that's Christianity, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. All right, wow, what an introduction, right? Like, we don't know very much about Saul at this point. Like, he kind of pops into the scene in, like, I think Acts chapter 7, but it's really, really quick. This is the first description we get of this guy. Not a great first impression. Oh, you guys know Saul? Breathing threats and murder. You'd hate this guy, right? Like, not a great introduction. First impressions are important. That's the first thing we learn about this guy. And so the author does, I mean, cuts to the chase. We know that Saul's a bad guy. And what you need to know is that, man, he devoted his life to persecuting Christians. It literally says he was breathing threats and murders. In other words, any time that he got, I mean, if he saw a Christian putting them in chains, persecuting them, hurling threats against them, every moment of his life was devoted to either dreaming about or he was persecuting Christians. And so this guy was infamous for his hatred of, of, of Christians, like, he's the kind of guy, like, when you hear his name, you kind of freak out, maybe pee yourself a little bit, all right? Like, if we're going to be a little real here, okay? Freaking out, all right? He's the guy that when he, walk, like, when he walks in the room, like, you don't want to accidentally make eye contact with him because he might start something. He was on a mission, and he was totally against Christianity in every way. But things radically change in a nearby city. He has an encounter. Look with me, starting in verse 3. It says, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So the person who was so against the, the, the message of Christianity 
the one who at the mention of Jesus would go into an outburst of rage. The least likely person has a powerful encounter with Jesus, the very Jesus he didn't believe in, the very message that he tried so hard to squelch and to get rid of, it actually began to mean something to him. Why? Because when God, excuse me, when everyone wrote Saul off, right? He's the least likely guy. When everyone gave up hope on Saul, God didn't. When everyone gave up on Saul, God didn't. If you would have asked any Christian at the time, who is the least likely person to get saved? Saul, easy. First name on the list, no doubt about it. And that's actually why here in a couple of verses, a disciple is actually shocked that they would hear of Saul's conversion. They don't even believe it. Like Jesus comes to one of his disciples, uh, his name's Ananias, we'll see him in just a second. And he says, hey, I want you to go over to Saul. He's just lost his sight. He's placed his faith in me. He's lost his sight. He's not eating anything, but I need you to go over to Saul. I need you to lay your hands on him and heal him. Listen to his response. The disciple says this, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man. How much harm has he done? Like how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem? And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He was like, whoa, Saul? Like Saul, Saul? Like the guy who like kills people and persecutes them, throws them in jail, that one? Really? You can't be serious. Are you serious? He doesn't believe there's, this, there's something in him that's like, man, really, Saul? He was the least likely person. Ananias writes Saul off. He gives up hope on him. See, he didn't believe that Saul had changed. And perhaps he didn't even believe that it was possible for him to get saved. Perhaps he didn't believe that it was at all possible that Jesus would mean anything to this Saul because he was so adamantly against him. And don't we do that sometimes? We write people off. Maybe it's someone that you know who's living in like very outright rebellion and sin. And you're like, that person wouldn't want Jesus. Like, I'm not gonna, like, I don't wanna bring Jesus up because I already know what the response is gonna be. They wouldn't be interested. But you know what makes God different than us? God doesn't give up on the people who are farthest away from him. God doesn't give up on the people who are farthest away from him. He doesn't give up hope on people because they seem hostile to him. In fact, we learn from this story that sometimes that is the very person that God wants to reach. So think for a minute. Maybe like think about, man, the people you sit next to in class or the people you rub shoulders with or maybe at work or whatever it is. Who is that person that you're like, man, if I were to share Christ with them, I know they'd probably get angry or maybe they wouldn't want to talk about it. And begin to ask yourself, man, have I kind of given up hope on that person? Am I pursuing them? Because God doesn't give up hope on them. And if you're here in the room and maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and the same thing is true, that God hasn't given up hope on you. That maybe you're here and you feel really far from God. You're just kind of checking this whole Christianity thing out. 
And what I want you to know is that God hasn't given up on you, but instead he sent his son to die on the cross for you, to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. He hasn't given up on you. The same way he didn't give up on Saul, the same way he has not given up on you. See, when everyone else had given up on Saul, God didn't. Because there are no exceptions for people who need to hear the gospel. There's no exceptions. It's just a matter of whether or not we choose to see the world around us the way that God does, as full of people ready to hear the gospel, if only someone would just share it with them. And so, students in the room, what if you saw DMAC the way that God did? What if you saw DMAC the way that God did? Do you realize you will never in your life be around that many people, especially your age? Like it just doesn't happen. I don't know if you guys know this, but there are 15,000 students at DMAC in the Ankeny campus alone. And statistics would say that only 5% of people who go to DMAC, people who are going to school, 5% of them are actively following Jesus, 5%. That means that there are about 14,000 students who are lost and without hope. And it's not a coincidence that God's put you there. What if you began to see DMAC the way that God did? You see, I think that we often don't live as if the people around us need the gospel. We can often write them off. And maybe it's not because of their rebellion. It's simply just because you haven't thought about it. So you go, maybe you go to class, you take notes, you get the heck out of there, you go home, you're glad you're done, and you just do it over and over again. You dread school, you just go, and you're like, all right, sweet, can't wait to be done. And there's no sense of purpose or drive or desire to begin to see the people around you as in need of a savior and that you just so happen to have the best news in the world. So what if you began to see DMAC the way that God did? What if? Imagine what God could do if all of us began to pray and say, God, I wanna see DMAC the way that you do. I want to have a passion to reach my friends for Jesus. I want my time in college to count for you. None of these relationships are a coincidence. God, I want, I want to share the gospel with them. I want to be a light. So maybe you're here and you want that. Maybe you're like, man, I haven't used my time in DMAC to really be a witness for Jesus. But you want to. What do you do? You do the same thing that John told us to do and that Daniel told us to do. You get on your knees and you pray. You get on your knees and you pray. And I hope that you feel the weight of that. Please, please do not write off prayer and dismiss it. Let's go do something else. Please don't. That is the devil's greatest tactic to stop a gospel movement from happening at DMAC. That he would keep you from getting on your knees and praying because it's like, well, does that really work? You better believe it does. Across history, 
You know who God uses? You know what God uses to start revival? Two things, prayer and young people, specifically between the ages of 18 and 22. Raise your hand if you're in that age group. God wants to use you and has historically used your age group to do it. So, man, maybe as you're walking from class to class, that you begin to pray and say, man, God, would you give me an opportunity to share the gospel today? Would you help me to see DMAC the way that you do? Or maybe as you're driving to work or maybe as you're driving to class or whatever it is, using those moments as moments for you to say, God, I want my time in college to count for you. God, change my heart. I want, to have, I want my heart to break for what breaks yours. <laughs> Recently, um, I've developed this new thing. So about two Last two months, um, I will hop in the old gold uh, 2003 CRV. Come on, any SUV people? Come on. So I uh, so I get in the car, and um, I got I may have a playlist. <laughs> it's called Revival Drive. All right, bear with me. Bear with me. All right, and it has two things. Um, it has uh, the song Lord uh, Lord Send Revival. And um, there is, there's a way that you can listen to uh, the Bible, but with music in the background. And so I have Acts chapter two and it's in that playlist and it just goes on repeat. And what I do is every Monday, if you're at DMAC, catch me there. <laughs> uh, be on the lookout for my car. I will drive around campus and I will just pray, God, break my heart for these students. God, send revival here. Imagine, like imagine a gospel movement at DMAC. Imagine for a second that students didn't just get a degree when they went to DMAC, but they had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and their lives were changed forever. Imagine that. Do you want that? And I pray that if that you desire that and that that's something that you, maybe it's not existing in your heart, that you would begin to pray for God to give you a holy ambition to see DMAC just have this unbelievable movement of God. Would you pray? Um, we desire, we desire to see DMAC uh, be reached with the gospel. We desire to be those who are going out and bringing that. But in order to do that, we need to understand the same thing that Saul knew. Point number two is this, saved and sent. Saved and sent. So Saul has a very powerful encounter with Jesus and it blinds him, right? Like, do you guys have like those friends who every time they take a picture, it's like they always use the flash, raise your hand. Anybody, a couple people, those are the worst people ever. Literally, it's like, why do you have to use the flash? Everyone looks worse with it, and I can't see when you do it, all right? Smile, take a picture, it's like blinded immediately. You know what I mean? Like, you can barely kind of see, you know what I mean? Thanks for blinding me. Oh, one more picture. Oh, you know, it's really bad every time. Um, this kind of blindness was way worse. Like, this flash of glory blinded them, blinded him for three days. It literally says that he, he was blinded, he didn't eat and he didn't drink because of it. So if you remember, God sends Ananias. He sends a disciple named Ananias to come to Saul, restore his sight. 
And if you remember, Ananias was not a fan of uh, going over to Saul. Wasn't really a fan, wasn't really on board. Um, but listen to Jesus' response to Ananias, this guy who had kind of given up hope on Saul. Listen to his response, verse 15. It says, but the Lord said to him, go for this man, talking about Saul, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. When Jesus saves us, he sends us on a mission. When Jesus saves us, he sends us on a mission. Like Saul literally has just played, it's within days of him placing his faith in Jesus. And he says, go, you are my chosen instrument. You have to imagine what kind of change this was for Saul. Like his whole life was, man, my ambitions, my desires. And Jesus comes into his life, saves him and gives him a new purpose and says, hey, I've saved you, but I'm sending you out. You are my chosen mission. I mean, you, you are my chosen instrument for this mission. He gives him a mission. He says, I am going to use you. He says, listen, I'm gonna bring many people to faith in Christ. Saul's like, yeah, that's great, Jesus, let's do it. He says, well, and we're gonna use you. You are my plan A. Within days of him placing his faith in Jesus, he says, go. So Jesus does the same exact thing with you. Again, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus wants to use you. So the question I wanna ask you is, are you taking advantage of the opportunity in front of you to live for Christ? Like the life that you have right now, does your heart break for lost people? Are you building relationships with lost people? I was reading a book uh, the other day um, and uh, he shares a story about a girl, her name was Amber, and uh, she was a, uh, a college senior at the time and she had recently been really convicted that she hadn't used her time uh, in college to really matter for Christ. And so she's got a lot of fears and so she's praying. She's like, God, how do you wanna use me? My senior, I got, I got one more year. And like, how, God, how do you wanna use me? And so she begins to pray and um, she, she's like, man, I, I know what I need to do. I know I'm a senior, but I'm going to live on campus. Even though all my friends are off campus, I'm gonna live on campus and I am going to meet every single freshman girl on my floor. And so she does that. And terrified, she goes and she knocks on every door and she introduces herself. And uh, she eventually, she, uh, on her door, puts a little welcome sign on there and the door is always open. And all she did was make herself available. I, the, uh, the first weekend, uh, not only did she show up early, right? Again, seniors would have shown up maybe a little late, but freshmen were coming in. She's like, this is a great opportunity to, to, to meet people and to serve them. She comes early to move these freshman girls uh, into their dorms to kind of you know, make them comfortable in the area. Um, and she also does this like popcorn and movie night. She's like, great way for me to meet new people. Like, I'd love to just bond with them a little bit. And so she throws a popcorn and movie night, super low key. Like she's not just going to preach at them. She's like, man, I wanna develop a relationship with them. And so she's doing that and God gives her a ton of favor. Eventually, um, Amber, uh, she develops a relationship with one of the, um, uh, a closer relationship with one of the freshman girls. And she's like, hey, so what if we did like a, like a Bible study? Like 
We could study through the Gospel of John, you know, people who don't believe in Jesus, they could be a part of it and we could just study it together. What do you think? What do you, what do you think about that? She was like, yeah, let's do it. And so they begin this evangelistic Bible study where they begin to um, invite these freshman girls to come and be a part of this Bible study on Tuesday nights. And they study through the book of John. And all that they do is they ask two questions. Who is Jesus? What does that mean for me? And they just read. And what ends up happening is as a result of Amber's faithfulness to build relationships with them, to have this Bible study, she was able to lead dozens of girls to Christ because of her faithfulness. Because she said, I don't want my life to just count for me. I want it to count for Christ. And so I want you to imagine for a minute, how could God use me where I'm at? How could God use my time at DMAC to do just that? How could God use me in my workplace to do just that, to build relationships? So maybe, maybe you're like, well, I don't know who God wants me to reach. Like, man, I know that God is calling me to go reach people. I don't know who, like, who do, who do, I, who do I reach? Um, look at verse 20. Did we get some insight here? Verse 20 says this. Saul, he, he immediately began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Okay, that's really, really important. The synagogues. The synagogues was a place for Jewish worship. And so that was a lot of, that was where Saul would spend a lot of his time. And so to go share the gospel, the first people he goes to are his friends, his family, that's where he goes. He says, guys, Jesus is the son of God. I know, I, I know all those things I used to say, but guys, I've met Jesus and he's changed my life. So maybe you're like, man, who do I share the gospel with? Who, do I, like, who does God want me to reach? Look around at your life. Who are the people that God has already placed in your life? Who are the unbelievers in your life that you know right now? That is who God wants you to reach. Maybe it's having a movie night at your house. Maybe it's intentionally praying every morning, God, give me, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with them, whatever it could look like. Guys, maybe it's making a huge sacrifice. And man, maybe while it's easier to live off campus, it, it saves money, you're living with your parents. But maybe you're like, man, it would be worth it if me and two to three people, like two, two to three other Christians, go and we live at Campus Town or at Campus View or at Prairie Point literally just to reach people because you're like, man, I want my time in college to count for Jesus. Whatever it looks like for you. I believe, and I really do believe this, that we could see the, great, the greatest move at DMAC, the greatest gospel movement at DMAC that we've ever seen if we devote ourselves to God's mission. If you say, yes, Jesus, I want to be used by you. God, who can I reach with the gospel? Utilizing the relationships that you have to begin to do just that. So God has given you an incredible opportunity to partner with him to bring lost souls to Christ, but there is something that can stop us from that. There's something that can obviously get in the way of us wanting to utilize our, our lives for Christ. So point number three is this, the biggest obstacle. Point number three is the biggest obstacle. 
So listen to how uh, the people respond to Saul. So Saul goes into the synagogue. These are his people. He's sharing the gospel. And uh, it says this, verse 20, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. Verse 21 says this. All who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on, the, on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? So Saul is sent to go share the gospel and the people are like, whoa, this guy was on our team. It, you were totally anti-Jesus and now you're all about him? What's the deal? You're a total hypocrite. So as soon as he goes, in a moment of boldness, he's sharing his faith and he's immediately hit with criticism. And for some of us, that's our biggest fear. It is for me that when you begin to share, your gospel, share the gospel, that you begin to get criticized. In fact, this is maybe such a big uh, obstacle for you that it actually gets in the way of you having your life count for Jesus. You be, begin to think things like, man, if I share the gospel with this person, they're not gonna listen. Or man, if I share the gospel with this person, what if they shut me down? We begin to have all these doubts and these fears go through our minds and they get in the way of our college years actually counting and meaning anything for eternity. But what about Saul? How does Saul respond? Look with me at verse 22. But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. See, Saul was unmoved. In the face of criticism, he stood tall. He was resilient and he kept going. But how was he able to do that? How was he able to share the gospel with like some of the people who were closest to him at one point to get criticized by them and still stand strong? It literally says he grew even stronger. He kept confounding the Jews. How was he able to do that? And how can we do the same? Saul, later on, uh, he writes, uh, a letter called Galatians. And in Galatians 1.10, he actually tells us how he does that. Galatians 1.10 says, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? <clears throat> if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Saul says, listen, I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm not going to live for their approval. I'm not gonna live for their opinion. If I did that, I would be so scared that I wouldn't have done anything to, to reach others for Christ. Because for Saul, God's mission was more important than man's opinion. And I hope that's true for you as well. <clears throat> God's mission is more important than man's opinion. You see, fears will always exist when you go to share the gospel with people. Like it's just going to happen, all right? Um, Every single time, like even when I go to get my hair cut or something, I'm like freaking out a little bit because I'm like, oh, I know I'm gonna share, like I wanna share the gospel with them. I'm really nervous, like what do I do? Um, the fear doesn't necessarily go away, but I wanna encourage you guys with this. God doesn't call you to be fearless. He calls you to be faithful. God does not call you to be fearless. He calls you to be faithful. So man, what if I share the gospel with them and they don't listen? Hey, that's okay. <clears throat> what if I share the gospel with them and they shut it down? That's okay. Keep being a friend to them. Keep hanging out with them. Don't reject them. Don't write them off. Keep being a friend to them and pray for opportunities to keep sharing the gospel with them. 
Imagine for a moment that Saul lived in his fear. Like imagine that he like didn't end up going and sharing the gospel. He gets really discouraged after they criticize him and he doesn't end up sharing the gospel with anybody. That would mean that literally millions of people would not be saved and churches would have never started. And I want you guys to also ask yourself, man, what would, what would have happened? What would have happened if the people who shared the gospel with you instead of being faithful to share the gospel with you, instead lived in fear and didn't share it with you at all. What would that mean for you? I think of, um, I think of my grandpa. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> uh, for years, he was an alcoholic and uh, <clears throat> he would show up to work. I mean, unbelievably hungover. Like he like almost couldn't function uh, with certain times. Um, he was a guy that he couldn't just have one drink. It was always about like five or six. Um, and so he would drink and drink and drink and he'd go into work the next day. And I mean, just an absolute wreck, an absolute mess. And uh, there was a guy that he worked with who was a believer. And uh, instead of looking at him and being like, are you kidding me? You're coming to work like that? You have a job, you get paid. Cut that out. Instead of doing that, every time that my grandpa did that, and it was often, he would look at my, my grandpa and say, hey, Ken, you don't look too great. Go home, I will take your shift. Go home, I'll take your shift. No, 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 I can do it. No, I, let, me, let me do this for you. So he begins to develop a relationship with my grandpa. Um, eventually, he, be, you know, he begins to invite him to church, and uh, <clears throat> later on, uh, this man invites my grandpa and my grandma over to dinner. And um, oh, <clears throat> he invites them over to dinner. Um, and uh, my grandparents, um, gosh dang it, Joe, you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> But he, he knew that my grandparents uh, were heavy smokers. <clears throat> and meeting them with an unbelievable love for Jesus, uh, they literally invested in ashtrays and put them in the house. so that my grandparents wouldn't feel intimidated. And my grandparents to this day remember that. And it's as a result of their love, literally just to say, I don't care if you make my house smell like cigarette smoke. I just want you to know Jesus. And that was so powerful for them. They said, you're different. This Jesus is different. And they gave their lives to Jesus. And as a result, as a result of this man just faithfully loving my grandpa, showing, I mean, my man was showing up to work drunk, guys. That's annoying. <laughs> and he loved him. And he pursued him. He didn't write him off. 
He invited them over. I don't care if you make this place smell like cigarettes. I want you to know Jesus. And because they pursued them, three generations of people are following Jesus. There's like 30 of us, (laughs) y'all. And I wonder how God could use you to do the same. That you wouldn't look at your time in college and write it off, but that you would see that God wants to use you. It's not a coincidence that he has you around the people that he does. He wants to use you. Would you let him? There are people who are already doing that here, and I want to celebrate that. I wrote down a few names. <laughs> I think of uh, I think of Allie Brand, who went to shout out, who uh, <laughs> went to DMAC a couple weeks ago, literally just to invite people to Salt and share the gospel with them. I think of Tommy Lee who lives at Campus Town and has intentionally built a relationship with the manager, has prayed with them, has shared his faith with them. We were, we were literally able to have a pancake party at Campus Town because Tommy Lee said, I want my time in college to count for Jesus. I think of Ariella Johnson, who has faced, <laughs> who has faced criticism at work for her faith and yet continues to live for Jesus. And the very people who sometimes will mock her for her faith will come up to her and say, hey, I know I said those things, but can you please, like, can we talk more about this Jesus? She's been resilient. I think of Josiah Helster, and I haven't met someone else who has invited that many people to Salt Company, y'all. Come on. <laughs> I, think, I think of Emily Anderson. Literally a couple weeks ago, I'm walking around DMAC with a friend of mine, and uh, she comes up to me and I'm like, Emily, what's up? And she's like, I'm having a gospel conversation. I'm like, what? Okay, and we go over and she's talking to these two guys and they have so many questions about Jesus. And so we were able to sit down with them and share the gospel with them. What if God used you that very same way? What if you looked at your time at DMAC and, and didn't just throw it away and say, I'm just here to get a freaking degree? He said, man, more important than that, I am here to win souls to Jesus. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I want good grades. Heck yeah, I want to get a good job. That's second. I'm here, I'm here because I want to reach people for Jesus. God wants to use you. Will you let him? Let me pray for us. Father, I, uh, I pray that you would give me and everyone else here <laughs> eyes to see DMAC the way that you do. God, there are so many people who are broken and lost and they're looking for meaning, they're looking for purpose and they're looking for in anything but you. Jesus, would you use the students here 
to bring the message of the gospel to them. I pray, God, that you would begin an absolute revival at DMAC. God, would you raise up a generation of people who attend DMAC, who come here, who say, man, I want my life, I want my time in college to count for you. I want it to count for eternity. That they would dream of being in, <clears throat> maybe they're living in Prairie Point or Campus Town or Campus View and say, man, we're gonna, get, we're gonna live in there and we're gonna have a Bible study and we're gonna meet everybody and we're gonna talk to them and get to know them and develop relationships with them. That we wouldn't live in fear, <clears throat> but that we would see that God's mission is way more important than man's opinion. That we would not let the obstacle of fear get in the way, but God, give us a vision to see all of DMAC, to know Jesus. That professors would look around and be like, man, what is happening? These people are coming to Christ left and right and left and right, and what is happening? God, we want others to know Jesus. We cannot keep this to ourselves. God, would you use us? Jesus, we love you. We give our time over to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.